Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Which one do you believe? That's what the entire nation is asking itself today, with millions and millions of Americans watching that hearing room on Capitol Hill, where Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and uh, Brett Kavanaugh both told their stories before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Hello, everybody. Here we are the day after with uh, echoes of what we heard yesterday still reverberating uh, inside of all of us as we uh, think about what we saw, try to weigh and analyze what we saw and sort it all out. None of that more important, of course, than in the minds of, you can count them on one hand, A few Republican senators who are as yet undecided, supposedly, and are going to have to cast a vote before the weekend is out. Hello, hello, hello. It is the Bill Press Show on this Friday, September 28. Good to have you with us. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. And we uh, look forward to your weighing in. Here's your chance to vote right now. Send us your comments on Twitter, up or down for Brett Kavanaugh, or maybe in between the sensible thing to just cool everything for a while, put things on hold, let the FBI come in. Why not? What are they afraid of? And get the facts in this case before they vote, because they do not have all the facts in this case as of this moment. That's our big topic today with three great guests and with all of you. Again, we want to hear from you, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so Elon Musk has had a very bad couple of weeks. First of all, he went on Joe Rogan's podcast where he smoked pot and immediately saw his the stock for Tesla drop. He also, before that, put out a tweet saying that he was going to take Tesla public, uh, which is not something that you can do. And yesterday, it turns out, 
the Securities and Exchange Commission sued Elon Musk for making, quote, false and misleading statements to investors. They are asking a federal judge to prevent Musk from serving as an officer or as a director of his company, among other penalties. Again, this all goes back to August 7th when he tweeted, I am considering taking Tesla private at $420, funding secured. The SEC said he had not actually secured the funding and also putting that tweet out could be a violation. So he is being sued. A no, dumb, just dumb an idiot. Jerk. I Absolutely. mean, you have to know something about business. You no, know? I mean, that was just, uh, it's like insider trading. Maybe it's the reverse of insider trading, right? Yeah. But yeah. it was a con, playing a con game on investors. Uh, you can't get away with that. No, apparently not. Uh, Bill, let me ask you a question. I think I know I've asked you this before. When was the last time you ate at a McDonald's? Huh. <laughs> I, I honestly can't. You can't remember. remember. Yeah, no. same. It was probably uh, 36 years ago um, when I was a student at uh, Georgetown Prep. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Fred of Kevin course. And I used to hang yeah. out. Well, you know what happens at Georgetown Prep. That's where we used to sober up. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, uh, I can't remember. McDonald's announced that they are going to completely revamp their hamburgers. They are no longer going to include artificial preservatives, flavors, or coloring, which says a lot about where they are right now. Coloring. Oh. Coloring. We're not going to color our burgers anymore. Yeah. No, I, it's disgusting to think about. But they said all of their burgers will get a change. They, again, will no longer include these artificial ingredients. And, in fact, they're going to change their Big Mac sauce, the special sauce that goes on Big Macs. Even that is going to get a change. They're going to get away from preservatives, flavors, and, and, and again, as we said, coloring right. of their uh now, you could ask me, uh, when's the last time I was in a Five Guys? What was that? <laughs> like two days ago. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. It is not a classic case of he said, she said. It is a classic case of she said, he screamed at the top of his lungs. So which one do you believe? Hey, weigh it, everybody. Here we go. It is the Bill Press Show on this uh, Friday, September 28th. The day after that incredible, disgraceful hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday, a disgrace on the nation, a disgrace on the United States Senate, a disgrace on the Supreme Court, the way Republicans turned it into a gangbang session almost, uh, turning a very legitimate, credible accusation and story and complaint of sexual assault into a partisan political fact, even going back and trying to blame it all on Bill and Hillary Clinton. How low can they go? As low as Donald Trump wants them to go. In fact, the first voice coming out saying, what a terrific job Brett Kavanaugh did yesterday, of course, was none other than Donald Trump. He likes Brett Kavanaugh because, like him, Brett Kavanaugh just attacks his accuser, rather than answering questions. Hello, everybody. we got a lot to talk about today. The Bill Press Show, again, Friday, September 28th. We are here in Washington, D.C., just about six blocks from where it all took place yesterday. 
bringing you the news of the day, a little update. Here's some of that sound again yesterday, our analysis and the analysis of our good guest, Congressman David Cicilline from Rhode Island, who will himself be a candidate for leadership in the United States House uh, this uh, next uh, spring or next uh, winter, uh, once Democrats take back control of the House. He will be joining us, as well as Zoe Tillman from BuzzFeed. She covers the courts and uh, and the justice issues, uh, Justice Department issues for BuzzFeed. Uh, and then the Women's March in Washington, organizing an entire week of action around the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Uh, Rachel O'Leary Carmona will be here to uh, tell us how we can all join in and what we can all do about this. So that's what's coming up as we join you, of course, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. As we join you, as always, on Free Speech TV, hello out there in TV land and in on the radio as well, not only statewide in the state of Indiana, on Indiana Talks, but on the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. Yes, indeed. Uh, what can you say yesterday? Um, I, th- I think we ought to take a look. Uh, first of all, overall, at the hearing itself, and then take a look at each of the personalities of the hearings. I mean, what did we think of Christine Blasey Ford? What did we think of Brett Kavanaugh and the way he came across? What did we think of Rachel Mitchell, the prosecutor that the Republicans brought in so that uh, the Republican senators would not embarrass themselves in speaking to a woman? Uh, how about Chuck Grassley? And, of course, how about Lindsey Graham? <laughs> but uh, overall, I got to tell you, I do think the, it was it, it what, what remember, <laughs> let's remember what this is all about. This is the highest court in the land. The president, this is a person who would be on the Supreme Court for the rest of his life, making decisions that impact every single American. And given his age, he would have that opportunity for decades. This short of president of the United States is probably the most important job that we could give anybody. And there are nine of these judges. And the process is under the Constitution, the president selects a person he thinks would be the best for that slot. And then it's up to the senators, U.S. senators, to do what the Senate is supposed to do, to take their time and do deliberation and careful consideration to weigh whether this person has the right character, the right understanding of the issues, basically the character, most importantly, to be trusted with that seat on the Supreme Court. That's the job of the senators. And they've done it over the years for many nominees put up by Democratic and Republican presidents. Uh, they've done it even in under Donald Trump, for Neil Gorsuch, which, while we did not like his policies, was still a very dignified process uh, of the Senate doing its work, ended up again with a result that most of us didn't like, but the process worked. They have made a sham of it now, a total sham of it, following the lead of Donald Trump. And remember, this is really in line, you got to see this, in line with Donald Trump, the way he has responded to every accusation of sexual assault in his life, right up to Stormy Daniels and Carrie McDougal. Following his lead, Republicans in the Senate have turned, once this accusation came forward, have turned this totally into a political attack dog operation. 
And while they laid back yesterday in the morning because they couldn't speak, they'd been muzzled. Um, and why? Well, they they self muzzled because they knew they knew they'd make asses of themselves if they started asking and show how um, intolerant and unwilling to even hear this woman's story that they were if they themselves asked questions. But after muzzling themselves, themselves in the afternoon, they came out, led by Brett Kavanaugh in the afternoon, uh, and every one of those Republican senators, maybe with the exception of Jeff Flake, whom I still don't trust at all, uh, just turning it into, again, a political football, following Brett Kavanaugh's laying it, laying it on the... Uh, uh, on the on the Clintons, laying it on Diane Feinstein, laying it on the Democrats, doing anything but talking about the accusations made by Christine Blasey Ford. And let's start with her. I got to tell you, it was a big question mark as we talked about for the last couple of days. Nobody had seen her. No, we had no idea what she looked like. I mean, there was early pictures of her, but no idea what she looked like today. No idea what she sounded like. No idea how she would come across. There's a lot weighing on that. And I thought from her opening remarks, she proved herself to be for real. She was very sincere. She was very credible. Uh, She made clear that she didn't want to be there. She felt it was her civic duty to be there. And I thought you could not help but identify with her when she started out saying, look, uh, I don't want to be here. In fact, I'm terrified. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. And, you know, I thought the, the new th- one new thing that we learned, we'd seen that statement before she released her statement, unlike Brett Kavanaugh, by the way, who released a phony statement, not the one that he gave yesterday, right, uh, she released her the statement that we heard her re- read. But the one the new thing we learned, I thought, yesterday was that she first came forward to her representative in Congress, Congresswoman Anna Eshoo, who represents that area. Uh, and by the way, just a little aside here. So at one point, the prosecutor said, so you went to a, uh, your congressman, right, who's Democrat, Anna Eshoo. Yes, I did. Did you also go see a Republican congressman? I mean, that was just an outrageous question. Again, they're trying to prove that she was some partisan pawn. We'll get to that in just a second. But first of all, why did she go to Anna Eshoo? Because Anna Eshoo is her congressperson. Why didn't she go to a Republican congressman? Because she wasn't a political person. She didn't feel right away, oh, if I talk to a Democrat, I also have to talk to a Republican And I might also add, by the way, if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, try to find a Republican member of Congress. You'd have to go pretty far. So, but my point was, I thought this was very significant. She came forward to Anna Eshoo's office when when she saw Brett Kavanaugh's name for the first time on a long list of people who were being considered for the Supreme Court before... He was even nominated by Donald Trump. And she said she was what she wanted was for Anna Eshoo's office to tell the White House what she what had happened to her so that the White House might consider dropping his name from that list. That was her motivation way back 
was not political at all. Again, it had to do, as she just said, with her civic duty. And then I thought it was, re- even though we had heard this story, heard about this story, um, when she talked about how the fact that he um, got on top of her and, I mean, just hearing her tell the account of what happened in that bedroom, let's remember, we're talking about a 15-year-old girl. He had a hard time because he was very inebriated and because I was wearing a one-piece bathing suit underneath my clothing. I believed he was going to rape me. And she said the worst part is that accidentally, right, by putting his hand over her mouth and not letting her breathe? I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe, and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. And I thought this was the most chilling. I still do when I think of it. So she was asked, what's the thing you remember about that incident the most? The laughter. The the uproarious laughter between the two. And they're having fun at my expense. Uh, and she was asked, so what has this meant to you? What is it, um, what kind of lasting impacts have you had? Anxiety, phobia, and PTSD-like symptoms are the types of things that I've been coping with. So uh, more specifically, claustrophobia, panic, and that type of thing. Maybe the money shot, if you will, came from Senator Dick Durbin, who said, okay, we hear what happened now, um, well, we'll let him ask the question. With what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted you? 100%. So, um, I, I, I don't think, I, personally, I don't think there's any way you could hear her, watch her, uh, and not conclude that she is telling the truth as she remembers it, certainly, um, that she is sincere, that she has no motivation other than making sure that we know what she knows about uh, Brett Kavanaugh before he gets on the Supreme Court. Um, And I don't see how any Republican woman, certainly, Senator, can listen to her and then still vote for Brett Kavanaugh. However, then Brett Kavanaugh comes up, right? Kavanaugh who uh, made a point the last time of how deliberate he was, how professional he was, how totally nonpartisan he was, and that as a judge you really have to be independent and not take sides and listen to people and everything. Uh, And it was funny. I was on NPR yesterday while this hearing was taking place, and the moderator, this is during the break, just before Brett Kavanaugh came up, said, so... um, some people have criticized him for being like too nice. Donald Trump has criticized him for being too nice a guy. Um, do you think he should come out like Donald Trump? And I said, no, absolutely not. I know Donald Trump wants him to. Donald Trump wants him to be like Donald Trump. But I think that would be a mistaken tone. Well, guess what? Uh-uh. I was wrong. He did come out just like Donald Trump could have written this opening statement. The tone and the words. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. 
The Constitution gives the Senate an important role in the confirmation process, but you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. Oh, give me a break. Since my nomination in July, there's been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything, to block my confirmation. Shortly after I was nominated, the Democratic Senate leader said he would, quote, oppose me with everything he's got. So? A Democratic senator on this committee publicly, publicly referred to me as evil. Evil. Think about that word. And said that those who supported me were, quote, complicit in evil. Another Democratic senator on this committee said, quote, Judge Kavanaugh is your worst nightmare. A former head of the Democratic National Committee said, quote, Judge Kavanaugh will threaten the lives of millions of Americans for decades to come. I understand the passions of the moment, but I would say to those senators, your words have meaning. Millions of Americans listened carefully to you. Given comments like those, is it any surprise that people have been willing to do anything yeah, to I make mean, come any on. physical I mean, all right, threat all right, against I think a little protest too much. Look, come on. You're up for the highest court in the land. And by the way, yeah, you can take the quotes that Republican Senator said about Christine Blasey Ford before they heard her. She was mixed up. She was confused. She was a liar. Come on, put your big pants on, boy. Right? This is, you can't take a heat, get out of the kitchen. But he went on. Listen how he's lecturing the senators. How dare you have anybody in your party who would call me names, right? Or how dare any of you take sides the way all the Republicans did, or 49 out of 50 of them, 51 of them did, uh, before they even heard a word from her. Uh, he called it a calculated political hit. He, he said, he called it, uh, my notes from yesterday, a grotesque character assassination. assassination. He actually said this was Clinton's revenge, meaning that the Democrats went out and found Christine Blasey Ford in California. Oh, by the way, she was on the beach in Rehoboth when this happened, when, when she did to discover this. And they somehow found her on the beach in Rehoboth and said, we need you to get even with Brett Kavanaugh because of what he did with Ken's when he was working for Ken Starr. Give me a freaking break. Totally unbelievable. I thought he was arrogant. He was obnoxious. He was insulting the way he responded and refused to respond to questions. You know, he was all kind of red-faced. Uh, if any woman had acted that way or testified that way, they would have shot her down for being out of control, can't control her emotions or whatever, and yet this was supposed to, supposed to be the way, I mean, the Republicans wanted uh, Brett Kavanaugh and applauded him for being, and again, the first person come out of the box and say, now you know why I nominated him was... The, bull, the big bully himself, uh, D Donald Trump. Um, I mean, just just the way uh, in several times when he was um, responding to questions from Democratic senators, um, his treatment of them, really, I thought he should have been gaveled down and said, uh, the witness will answer the questions of the senator no matter what party the senator belongs to. Let's just listen to this one from his exchange with Amy Klobuchar, where um, his college roommates 
and some high school roommates have said that he was a blazing, stumbling drunk all the time, a bad drunk who often passed out and didn't remember anything that happened. She's exploring that. So you're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened? That's You're asking about yeah blackout. I don't know. Have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just so you that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah, and I'm curious if you have. I have no drinking problem, Judge. Yeah, nor do I. Okay, thank you. Outrageous, outrageous. And the fact is, is Amy Klobuchar has admitted her. She's the daughter of a father who had a very serious drinking problem. Uh, he later apologized for asking that question. But where was Grassley? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's grassy. Say, wait a minute. There's a little de- decorum here, a little dignity, sir. You're the witness. You know, the, the drinking stuff was something that, that they asked a lot of questions about yesterday, and he lied about it. Totally I lied. I mean, let's just be very clear. He lied about it. He basically, he kept, he might have one beer. He sort of was, yeah. and, and never on, never during the week. He, no. He talked about, he talked he about how the legal drinking age in Maryland, he was able to drink. That was a lie. That's not true. People went back and they looked at the dates. It's not true. There was a, a comment in his yearbook about boofing. Right, mm-hmm. uh, which the Washington Post has a whole explanation. Sheldon Whitehouse asked about that. Uh, has a yeah. whole explanation of what boofing is, and I'm not going to yeah. get into the graphic details, but it's a way of ingesting alcohol that you nor- don't normally ingest alcohol. And he said, oh, no, that was a, f- a reference to flatulence. There was a reference about the devil's triangle, which, again, y'all can Google it. It's a very sexually explicit term, which he said, no, no, that was just a drinking game. These are lies. He's lying about the little things. If you'll lie that blatantly about the little things, you'll lie about the big things, too. Right. Yeah. And the drinking is central to the whole issue Absolutely. because she said he was so inebriated, the drinking, two of them. I mean, look, a, a lot of it, and this is not a way to say that there's any kind of excuse for it, but you look at a lot of these sexual assaults and a lot of the people that were sexually harassing, and yep. alcohol absolutely positively has played a role in a lot of them. Right. And whether or not he can remember all of the details of the day that he assaulted her probably has to do with the fact that he was a blind drunk at that age. Whether yep. he's gotten his act together, I don't know. If he did, good for him. Right. But at that time, everybody and, seems to agree that he was a drunk. And it looks like he probably has gotten his act together, but, but you're right. The, the evidence is overwhelming that at that time he was, as you say, Peter, uh, a blind drunk. I thought his weakest moment was in... At least eight times, if not nine times, Democratic senators ask him, would you agree to an FBI test, FBI investigation? Just take a couple of days out and all these little people, all these little facts, rather, and all these people who are mentioned, interview them all and help for the committee to nail down the exact time that this happened, maybe even the location, the people who were there and who were not there. I mean, one little factoid, right? He says he never met her. She says she went to several parties where Brett Kavanaugh and Mark Judge were together, and she named the person who introduced her to both of those people. The FBI could clear that up in a second. Talk to Mark Judge. Talk to this other guy. Talk to talk to the people that she says were at the party, and she was very honest in saying she named three of the boys. She couldn't remember the name of the fourth boy. The FBI could clarify that very easily. 
what when Mark Judge was actually working at the Potomac Safeway, nailed down the date. By the way, thing. the Post did that. The Post, the Post yeah. looked at Mark Judge's right. book where he talks about how he was working at right. a grocery store at Go, that time. Go back and look at the employee records, if nothing else. You can find it. But he refused over and over again. That one awkward moment when he was talking to Dick Durbin, and Dick Durbin says, answer the question, yes if, or no. Would you support? If there is no truth to her charges... The FBI investigation will show that. Are you afraid that they might not? Come on. Yeah, he just basically sat there for the longest time. And then Durbin said, you're going to answer the question? No, he couldn't. And then it got even more heated with Durbin. I just want to play this clip because this is where they really got into it. I welcome whatever the committee wants to do because I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do. I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do, Judge. I'm innocent. I'm innocent of this charge. Then you're prepared for an FBI investigation? They don't reach conclusions. You reach the conclusion. No, Senator. but they do investigate questions. Yeah, right. They kept coming to that. Nobody said they reached conclusions. That's not their job. The FBI's job is to determine the facts and then present the facts to the committee. He would not accept that because he knows that the FBI would undermine his credibility and undermine his case. Uh, at any rate, I thought he was a horrific witness and set a very bad example for anybody who might follow. Um, just quickly, uh, looking at a couple of the others. Yeah, the Republicans brought in this woman from Pat, uh, Rachel Mitchell from uh, from Arizona. Um, I don't think she helped. I, I, I don't want to. She's fine. She did a good job as far as it goes. I don't think she helped the Republicans at all. I think if anything, she helped the Democrats. She pursued some lines of uh, questioning. I thought they were just a waste of time um, about her fear of flying. Oh, so you're afraid of flying? I don't like to fly. Yeah. Well, you went to Hawaii on vacation. Yeah. Who cares? BFD. How'd you get to Washington? Why well, flew here? Okay. There's nothing inconsistent with being afraid of flying and still taking a plane sometimes if you have to, right? I mean, where was that door is there going? But the, the big thing is I really believed watching her that Rachel Mitchell ended up believing Dr. Ford. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And, and she didn't do the job that Republicans were hoping she would. She wasn't the Perry Mason that they were hoping. Uh, and also, I have to say, it was very unfair to expect her to do a professional job when they gave her five minutes of time and kept cutting her up. I mean, that's that's not the way uh, either prosecutors or therapists uh, work with victims of, of sexual assault. Uh, I, I And the worst, the worst, the worst marks have to go to Chairman Chuck Grassley, he started from the very, very beginning, setting the tone that this was going to be nothing but a partisan route when he called, issued a call for civility, his first words, and then he proceeded for 10 minutes to attack Dianne Feinstein, that the whole thing was her fault because if only she had violated this woman's right, uh, request to remain confidential, if only Dianne had violated that, and handed this letter to Chuck Grassley, then we wouldn't have had to have this damn hearing. Uh, attacking her by name, by person, uh, just setting the whole partisan tone for the thing. And then I thought totally losing control of the hearing. He even turned it over then to the other person who made a total ass of himself yesterday. Talk about grandstanding. They accused Cory Booker of grandstanding. Yeah. How about Lindsey Graham? I hope that the American people will see through this charade. Oh, yeah. He was pointing. His face was red. I thought he was going to have a stroke on TV. It looked he like was it. so mad. Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. 
You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden, you got over it. It's been my understanding that if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. And I'm sure as soon as he got off that hearing, he turned around and called the White House and said, Donald, did you see me? Wasn't I good, Donald? Didn't I do exactly what you wanted me to do, Donald? Now, can we play golf on Saturday? Don't you know it? That's exactly what he did. It's exactly what he did. Just totally, totally disgusting. At any rate, what's most disgusting is uh, just one little point here, too, before we move on. Uh, The uh, American Bar Association, the ABA, which plays a very important role usually in the confirmation of Supreme Court justices, no bigger job. Um, They have this morning issued a call for a delay before any vote uh, in order to give an end a request for the FBI to, again, talk to all the people involved, do their report, and present their facts to the committee before they vote. That's the ABA. Uh, Yet the Republicans got together last night after the hearing. They decided they are going to proceed at this point, at least, and they'll do it, with a committee vote today, Friday, and Mitch McConnell plans to call the entire Senate into session tomorrow to ram through the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. So I, 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 acting with total, total unseemly haste, you watch. This is what they're going to try to do. And now it's really up to Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, maybe Ben Sass, maybe Jeff, Jeff Flake, and Joe Manchin. And Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin. Is, yeah, and Joe Manchin. It's really those. those, those I, I, that's I, I, I think it. Ben Sass is going to absolutely vote yes. And I think Jeff Flake will probably vote yes. But I, I do too. I think Flake is. I mean, Flake had a chance yesterday to uh, and, and the day before with his big speech. Uh, I think Flake is just trying to have it both ways. But it's, it's down to probably two or three senators, uh, whether or not we're stuck with Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, Lots of action yesterday, uh, the women yesterday particularly, all the last couple of weeks at the Hart Building around the Capitol have been tremendous in their showing of support for Christine Blasey Ford and their opposition to the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Rachel O'Leary Carmona is the chief operating officer for the great Women's March on Washington. She'll join us to tell us what some of the more, what more actions are planned. So take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. She said he screamed. Uh, That sort of sums up the hearing yesterday. The Senate Judiciary Committee, um, I guess I could agree with Lindsey Graham that was the most unethical scam I've ever seen in American politics. Uh, He and I come to that conclusion for entirely different reasons, of course. It's the Republicans who made it such an unethical partisan route, uh, turned the hearing into a cheap political shot and attempting to paint Dr. Christine Ford, who came forward with a very credible story of sexual assault, as nothing but a political pawn. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome back again to the uh, Bill Press Show here. Uh, of course, that hearing yesterday and the vote today uh, sort of sums up uh, the main topic of conversation, certainly sums up the main topic of conversation today on this Friday, September 28. Um, for the last month, at least, there have been many, many protesters every day, particularly women in the halls of the uh, 
Hart Office Building and the Senate Office Building and the Capitol itself and around those buildings, um, most of it led by and the, the principal organization organizing that, the famous Women's March um, back to what, January 22nd, was it? 21st. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it was the 21st. So the inauguration was the 20th, I believe, so the 21st. Yeah. Anyhow, I was very much a part of it. It was just huge in 2017. Uh, and Rachel O'Leary Carmona is the chief operating officer for the Women's March, which continues even today. Hi, Rachel. It's nice to see you. Hi. Thanks for having me. Before we get into what's planned for this week and your reaction to yesterday, uh, we've uh, been talking, summing up, and playing a lot of the sound from yesterday's hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, generating a few comments. Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show, and let's first of all give a shout out to all the new people that have been commenting this week. Uh, we really appreciate it. We love hearing from yes, you. Yes, thank you. Tom says Kavanaugh does not have the proper disposition nor the temperament for the Supreme Court. Let's Boy, talk he showed about that, that yesterday. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, somebody else. Uh, referred to Lindsey Graham. We played the clips of Lindsey Graham uh, with the hashtag Graham standing. Not Graham standing. Graham <laughs> Good standing. Point. I like that. Rob says, in summary, first Dr. Ford said that she was terrified. Then by launching into a maniacal threatening rage, Mr. Kavanaugh showed the whole world why. Good point. That's mm-hmm. Tough, like that's yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely true. And our buddy Phil, uh, I think, sums up uh, the whole situation. The only loser yesterday was all of us. Period. If you have a comment, find us on Twitter at BP Show. Really value your comments, uh, and as always, you uh, you're right on it. <laughs> you nail it every time. So thank you all. Yeah, keep those keep those comments coming. Um, Rachel, I thought one of the most telling the things have at the very very end i think the last democrat um was uh, senator kamala harris and she asked brett kavanaugh did you watch dr christine ford's testimony i only have a few seconds left and i'll just ask you a direct question did you um watch dr ford's testimony uh, i did not i plan to i plan to i plan to but i did not I was preparing mine. I thought that was very telling. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a damn. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a damn. Right. Not only does he not give a damn, but in previous comments, he had said that he he did watch it. So it's also around. Um, I I read in in two different um, outlets huh. that yeah. that he said that he did, and so it's. Not only the um, disregard that he demonstrates, or that he is actually performing in front of the. Um, the Senate Judiciary Committee, but it's also this duplicitous that we continue to see throughout all of his testimony where, um, you know, there's a lack of clear answers, a lack of response. There are conflicting responses or answers. There are answers that conflict with his clear judicial record. So there's there's all of these things that just lack the sort of clarity that you would expect from somebody who is being considered for the highest court in the land. And think back to Chuck Grassley's original plan was to have the two of them sitting Yes. Side by side mm-hmm. at the witness table. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine uh, not just how uncomfortable that would have been, but oh my God. What, mm-hmm. I mean, talk about Christine Brasi for being terrified. Right. right? right. Uh, so, um, you're, before we get into the exact, uh, you know, kind of what's your plans now to mm-hmm. <laughs> moving forward, um, what was your reaction to the hearing yesterday overall? 
I thought it was um, a piece of political theater. Um, I think that the it demonstrated that the committee really didn't ever have an intention to listen to Dr. Ford because of the scheduling of the vote today, um, because of the, I guess, just the general lack of preparedness that I felt that um, Kavanaugh demonstrated. Um, the fact that he demonstrated in so many different ways, not only through the things that he said, but his demeanor itself, that he's not prepared for you know this position, and that it was it it seemed to be conducted as a, um, you know, with this frame of we we need to hear both sides, we need to really weigh all of the evidence. But this is not a trial. The burden of proof is not on Dr. Ford. The burden of proof is on Kavanaugh to prove that he has earned. This is a job interview, and the burden of proof is on Kavanaugh to prove that he has he is fit and he has earned a, a seat on the Supreme Court. And as far as I'm concerned, by any objective measure, he is failing miserably at that. I have to say that one of the things that really offended me the most was when he kept going on and on, basically saying, how dare you ask me questions? (laughs) Right. I've been 30-some years and I work for Ken Starr. I work for George Bush. I was on this Court of Appeals, or now I'm on the District Court. You know, mm-hmm. I've had. I went to Yale. I went to Yale Law School. Mm-hmm. How dare you ask me questions? Well, you know, come on again. Put your big boy pants on, right? right. You're up for the t- biggest job in this judicial system. That's their job to ask questions. Right. And then the second thing where he said, and in all this time, this is the first time I've ever been accused of this. This is the first time anybody's ever accused me of sexual assault. Well, there's a first time for Bill Cosby, too, Mm -hmm. right? There's a first time for Les Moonves and Mm -hmm. Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes Mm -hmm. and Matt Hopp, Matt Lauer. And I mean, go down the list, right? right? Well, it's also the first time he's being nominated for the Supreme Court and being vetted thoroughly, you know, for roles that are um, the type of significance that he's talking about. It's Mm -hmm. it's the idea that he seems to expect that this is just going to be a cakewalk is just really another uh, manifestation of the impunity, you know, with which the Republicans and this, um, frankly, white supremacist organization that has um, centered men and patriarchy and a lot of the the policy decisions that it's made has expected just, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to steamroll you and we don't really care what the feedback is or any of the facts surrounding the case. So a lot of people uh, might be surprised to learn that the Women's March didn't stop on January 21, mm-hmm. 2017, that the organization continues. And mm-hmm. uh, one manifestation of that has have been the daily protest uh, uh, at the United States Senate, and, this, right. and particularly the Hart Office Building, over the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had a lot of women turn out. I mean, I've been over there a couple of times. Yeah. The crowd's There's impressive. Yeah. All sort <laughs> packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people getting arrested. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You train all these women. You uh, how do you recruit them? I mean, what's tell us about that whole sure. Uh, then we'll talk about what's moving forward. Yeah. So we have, um, to your point, a large network <laughs> of of people, and we've had ongoing work since the marches. But the marches, obviously, um, there have been since Trump took office four very large mobilizations. Um, there was the first women's march. There was mm-hmm. the second women's march. There was March for Our Lives um, yes. after the Parkland shooting. And then there was also the walkouts on, I believe, March 14th. And yes. March 14th was, that was Youth Empower. So that was our youth arm that organized that. Mm-hmm. So of the four of these massive uh, mobilizations that have happened since 
um, Trump has taken office, three of them have been Women's March. But we, we do also have um, organizing that's happening on the ground. So we've got 40 chapters. We've got 140 youth chapters. We've got a large um, decentralized network of folks that mobilize in their states and also sending people to um, Washington. And so we have ongoing trainings, ongoing development, things like that. Um, but in this space and time when we're bringing people to um, protest here, we definitely prepare them for, you know, the eventuality that would say, well, you know, we're going to protest. Um, here are some of the things that could happen. You know, you need to make some choices. If we get warnings, you may get arrested. There's a risk at any protest of arrest. Here's what happens if you do. And so we provide a really strong support structure to make sure that folks are understanding what they're opting into, um, you know, and, and really are clear about what our tactics are and why our targets are our targets, who we're trying to influence, what we're asking them for, um, you know, and things like that. And then we kind of we have folks that guide the process all the way through from the recruitment to, you know, any kind of support that people need if they if they do um, end up arrested. Well, so many of the cases I've seen were not people who are arrested for for disrupting a hearing or right. standing up with a banner or anything. They were out. They were in the hallway. Don't they have a right to be in the hallway and. Yeah, there have been people arrested for for interrupting a hearing, um, but I think that you know the the important part to kind of weigh here is there are um, really some First Amendment like free speech you know issues at play, and I think that there while there have been people in hallways and people that have been in offices trying to demand to speak to their senators, those same senators have been ducking and dodging and refusing to speak to their constituents. Um, and the voice of the people is just not heard in this process, not only because it's being silenced, but because so much of the information about Brett Kavanaugh's judicial record has been withheld. So I think I think the statistic that I saw was something like um, for Justice Kagan that 94 or 97 percent of her judicial records uh, were made um, public or something more like 7 percent. Seven. Um, yeah, that was what I read. Now, I don't know if it, right. I know there was another release since then. So that may have changed. But even if it changed a little, the disparity is quite obvious. And um, <clears throat> the thing that one of the things that continues to, you know, kind of roll around in my head is that um, I believe it was Justice Kagan. Um, it was one of the women. And I can't remember um, right now but one. No, no. I think it was Sotomayor who had a, um, a win at the, of a casino like a $10,000 win at a casino, and she had to explain the how she got this influx of cash, mm -hmm. while Brett Kavanaugh has had um, oh. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars come and go right. in credit card debt, um, unexplained, um, you know, in, in terms of like a, a house that he can't really seem to afford and hasn't really been able to explain how he got there. Um, so there are the very clear issues that we're talking about right now as it pertains to these sexual assault, these just alarming sexual assaults, um, accusations that are not we're, we're talking about Dr. Ford a lot, but it's not just Dr. Ford. There are there are three other or if not four other um, people who have come forward now with stories that are all very similar. But there's also a whole other bucket of problems. So well, that's a good a good thing to point out. And by the way, I didn't hear it. well once in a while there was a reference to that yesterday. But uh, there were as many as five, but at least three of whom are seem credible. Deborah Ramirez, number two, mm -hmm. and then Julie Swetnick, number three. I think they've gone on the record in ways that the others haven't. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the others are still anonymous and, and no details, and some people thought they might have been scammed or whatever. But so certainly there are three. But there was no effort on the part of this committee to hear, right. take time to hear from Deborah Ramirez right. or... Um, um, Julie Swetnick, uh, that they just sort of swept them aside, right? The lack of curiosity 
in in the process is just or lack um, of doing their job. Yeah, it's it's just very um, it's it's anomalous. You know, like if any of these issues came up, I mean, just from a fundamental curiosity, like that's curious that you've had a hundred thousand dollars come and go out of your account with no explanation. That's curious that three women are coming forward and their accounts are alarmingly similar. That's curious that you know all of you know. So it's the there's a a willful um, ignorance and. Um, just denial of any sort of proper procedure or vetting, um, and it really just seems like the goal is to move him through, which is really it's it's it, it's weird because like, why not have an equally conservative, you know, judge? Why not withdraw Kavanaugh and have an equally conservative person that has that that doesn't have questions about all of these things? So I don't understand. That was you know, the, the thing strategy. to me through this whole process. Sure. They got, I mean, they could have dropped this guy who is clearly unstable clearly and with tainted. loads of questions right. about his past. Right. right. Clearly there's a problem with him. And they could get any number of other Republican justices with no real problem. No yeah. real problem at yeah. all. Yeah. So why is it this guy? Why, you know, they, why were they willing to go to bat and die on that hill? I, I think there are several reasons, but I have to tell you. Let's not forget, one of the reasons is because Brett Kavanaugh is on the record as saying that a president is above the law. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump knows he's going to need that vote on the Supreme Court, or very well might. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and that, that's why he was added to the list, because he right. wasn't on, as we know, um, the uh, whatever that re- the conservative judge, judge, Federalist Society's original list. Oh, mm-hmm. But he was added to it because this is sort of like his specialty. So the vote, the committee's going to vote today. We mm-hmm. think we know how they're going to go. Mm-hmm. The full Senate may vote tomorrow. This could be over by Sunday or Monday. So does that mean uh, the Women's March is over and we move on to other things? Mm-hmm. Uh if the vote happens and if the senators um, do vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, first of all, I think they're committing career suicide. I mean, the political consequences for particularly for the votes for the senators in swing states um, who may be vulnerable thinking about the um, the campaigns around um, be a hero. That's, you know, crowds crowdfunding they've got 1.5 million raised to any opponent you know for a person who's who's going to oppose if uh, senator collins votes the wrong way let, let me let me just be sure i understand mm-hmm. this 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 operation is in place be a hero aimed at senator collins and so the the um, strategy behind it is uh, a pack has raised 1.5 million crowdsourced um just from regular right. people, no, you know, big dollars, and it's going to go to any opponent or to to Collins' opponent if she votes to confirm. And one of those so was just launched up a, about Grassley as well. Or, oh. Grassley has one of as well that was recently launched in the last, I would say, forty eight hours. I think. Right. Right. Oh, so targeting those senators who vote who might end up voting. Mm-hmm. We know Grassley will. Right. right. Collins and Murkowski have been the, the ones who um, most people have been targeting. But um, I think Jeff Flake has, has um, you know, given a few indications that he's not as solid as as um, probably the Republicans would like him to be. And I'm fairly certain that um, Marco Rubio has spoken out and said we need we need to really take this seriously. Now, I don't know what that means in terms of their votes, but I, I was reading an article yesterday that said um, – that the Republicans and themselves think the vote too close to call at this point. Um, 
So what happens if they confirm? What happens if he makes it through the Senate Judiciary Committee and they confirm um, is that there are swift political consequences in the 28, you know, in, in November. And um, we will continue to, you know, target and um, mobilize against any politician, no matter what side of the aisle they sit on, who um, advocates and, and votes against women's rights. But you're not talking. So Susan Collins is not up this time. She's up in Right. In 2020. Right. So, right. so there but will probably be about, a, a large war chest by the time she's up. <laughs> OK. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but I was going to ask you about the more immediate impact because we've got 2018, mm-hmm. some really key Senate races. Mm-hmm. And so your message today here on the Bill Press Show is mm-hmm. that uh, anybody who votes for Kavanaugh who's up, right, you're going to be out. You're, uh, That's right. You can't do all of them, maybe, but you're going That's to be right. targeting. That's right. And among those you'd be targeting would be even some Democrats. We will be voting. Let's say a Joe Manchin votes for for uh, yeah. Kavanaugh. That's right. I mean, we we are not. Um, we don't have the luxury in a Trump administration to say we're going to play partisan politics. We are um, fighting for. You know, we are fighting to make sure that our rights don't get rolled back um, by an administration that is absolutely dead set on doing that. And the people who are with us are with us and the people who aren't are not. And there is no neutral in this fight. There are people who are part of the problem and people who are part of the solution as far as we're concerned, as it pertains to women's rights, the protection of impacted communities, Queer people, you know, immigrants—all of the people that Trump has already targeted in his in his short time in office—and we are going to fight tooth and nail. And it, it, to us, where that comes from, or, or partisan politics, don't really play a deciding factor in that. So you're saying for them, there will for the pro Kavanaugh votes, there will be a price to pay. Yes. Uh, political price to pay in That's 2018 right. and in 2020. As long as our organization exists and we draw breath, there will be a political price to pay for anyone who votes for legis- rights legislation for advocates against the rights of women. Power to the people. Great. That's great. (laughs) By the way, this extends, I think, to Jeff Flake. Jeff Flake, who's retiring. Everybody talks about how he's retiring. He's sort of hinted at. Yeah, but think about wanting for president. He wants to run for president as some independent candidate. You cannot be some independent candidate that votes Mm -hmm. for this maniac to go on the Supreme Court. That's right. Right. And then expect expect people to forget it. Uh, two years from now, right. or also expect to give him a pass because he's been reasonable, right? And he makes these little pious speeches that don't say anything. Yeah, that's that's like his not his final enough. statement on the on the committee yesterday. Let's all remember that we're all gonna we have to do our duty and we all have to listen to both sides no. and blah blah. Yeah, I mean, come it's on. completely Stand unacceptable and, because at the end of the day, <clears throat> um. If Kavanaugh does not get this seat, he just goes back to his life. He yeah. just goes back to yeah. his job. Yeah. Christine People have stopped feeling sorry for him and his family. Right. I mean, right. I mean yeah. he just did there there's you know, he, he just goes back to normal. Doctor Ford has been chased from her home. She has to hire security. She's having death threats and it's the same thing that we have heard from Anita Hill. She Anita Hill is still harassed to this day. And um so I think that people when people are saying both sides are talking about this thing like it's an equal Situation: The power imbalance is completely skewed in Brett Kavanaugh's favor. So just about a minute left here. You, what is the risk that you see for women, particularly for all Americans, for to have Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court? So why is this such an important fight? I mean, Brett Kavanaugh is at any Supreme Court 
um, you know, confirmation is is a lifetime appointment. And so for Brett Kavanaugh, it's a lifetime. It, this is this is a person who will affect policy at our organization for a, or in our in our country for a generation. And because of what we the little we do know about his judicial record is that that would be a life sentence for many women. It would be um, a rollback on our you know reproductive health. The, the questions that you raise mm-hmm. around. Um, what decisions he might make about the fate of the presidency. Um, so it's women, it's it's immigrants, but it's also, frankly, our democracy. And that's everybody. And so I think that the, the stakes here couldn't be higher. And I think that um, it's time for us all to act. Let me just, uh, up to, and a place to find out is, I see, cancelkavanaugh.com. 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 Join the Women's March. They're still marching. God love you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from the Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, which one do you believe? Uh, That is the question facing all Americans today. The entire country transfixed transfixed by that hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday, where we heard from a very credible Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and a very angry and a very incredible, I believe, Brett Kavanaugh. Hello, everybody. It's the Bill Press Show on Friday, September 28th. Thanks so much for joining us as we reach out to you coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., just down the street from the United States Capitol, where that uh, farce of a hearing took place yesterday. We are so excited uh, to get uh, have in studio with us uh, a good friend, get his take on that hearing, and also his plans for congressional leadership coming up once Democrats take back control of the House on November 6th. A good congressman, David Cicilline from the state of Rhode Island. Congressman, how are you? Great. Good morning. Great to be with it's you, It's good Bill. to see you. Good to have you back uh, and uh, get your, your take on all the uh, events of yesterday. Uh, and remember, it's a two-way street, and there's so much to talk about, so we want to hear from you, your comments on yesterday's hearing uh, and which one you believe and whether you think Brett Kavanaugh demonstrated just the very temperament to actually sit on the nation's highest court. Send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. Congressman, you and I will jump right into it. But first, all of this is the, the full big court stories. press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So this story is fascinating. Yesterday, there was a Bloomberg conference in New York where the CEO of Ford spoke about the effect 
that the Trump administration tariffs have had on their business. <laughs> the man's name is Jim Hackett, and he said that Ford has lost approximately $1 billion in profits due to the tariffs on steel and aluminum. And he says if this goes on any longer, the entire company could be irreparably damaged. Wow. They point out also that Ford was already getting most the of entire its- prices for Ford cars, which has been yeah. America's car, right? Yeah. They, they point out that they were already getting most of its metal from a tariff-free source, or else that would even be worse than the billion dollars in losses that they're already reporting. That's stunning to yeah. me. I'm just surprised we haven't heard more stories like that from more companies, more industry. I think we will. Yeah. Uh, Also, uh, if you are flying on Indigo, which is a value airline, you don't want to do this. A man tried to get into the cockpit of an airplane after he had had too much to drink because he wanted to charge his cell phone. (laughs) That is not a good reason to dry and go into the cockpit. Uh, No. They have those little plugs in between the seats of most planes. You can so yeah, in. some of them, some of them have that now. And I did this story yesterday, but I thought it was a good time to bring it back. I up. I think it's a good time to bring it back up. There was a new study that took a look at what people are googling, what they are like mm-hmm. when it comes to sex and things like that, and what state looks for the most sexually uh, explicit or sexual content on the internet. And number one is. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. <laughs> Risky group. Yeah, in fact, all of New England, is uh, they, they've got sex on their mind an awful lot. It's uh, the cold winter's coming. You know? <laughs> apparently. Uh, Maine was number two. Uh, it's, it, like, all up and down the, uh, New England. There was are, it New Hampshire in there, too? New Hampshire was in there. Number, What's New Hampshire going was on? Four, number four. Massachusetts was number five. There's, there's something going on up there, Congressman. <laughs> so, Congressman, we figured that maybe uh, lobster's a new aphrodisiac. Maybe. Right. Not, uh, not oysters. And not oysters. <laughs> <laughs> When Peter told us, we we were guessing which states. You know, the last state I would have guessed. I don't know. The smallest. Wholesome place is Rhode Island. Considering Rhode Island is the smallest state, I guess uh, size doesn't matter after all. (laughs) So so you guys stay warm uh, there in New England over the winter, okay? My my first guess, I'm outside of was Utah. I just figured those Mormons, you know. Right. Right. They populate like rabbits, and so anyhow, no, it turned out to be Rhode Island. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, yeah, the story of uh, she said and he screamed uh, yesterday uh, at the hearing. Hello, everybody. Day after the Senate Judiciary Committee. And yes, or I should say, no, they're not going to take time out to consider what they heard yesterday. No, they're not going to take time out to let the FBI just clarify some facts before they vote. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee, Republicans, uh, voted uh, agreed last night that they're going to force through a committee vote today, uh, apparently this morning, and then Mitch McConnell is determined to bring the entire Senate in over the weekend to try to ram and railroad Brett Kavanaugh under the Supreme Court. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us again. We come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, right down the street from the United States Capitol building, and we're uh, so happy to welcome 
back a good friend from the state of Rhode Island, one of two members of Congress from Rhode Island. Uh, you represent the first of two districts, Correct. Congressman David Sicilian. Good to see you, Congressman. Good to see you. Great. To you be had here. a chance, I'm sure, <laughs> not to watch the entire hearing, uh, but to catch uh, major parts of it. Whoop, whoop. As a member of the House, what was your reaction? Well, I mean, I think anyone who was objective in watching this hearing uh, first uh, admires the incredible courage of Dr. Ford, who was clearly traumatized by this event, and understandably so, who was reluctant to come forward, and for all the reasons that so many victims of sexual assault are reluctant to come forward, particularly against strong and powerful men. And I thought she was a very credible witness with no... I mean, people should remember she passed a polygraph exam. There is no explanation as to why she would turn her life upside down, make up something uh, just out of thin air. I mean, it's just... there's just It's not credible that, to suggest she would do that. She was a very... Uh, steady witness. I think she described the painful experience in as much detail as she could remember and, you know, shared it with her husband in couples therapy, uh, was reluctant to come forward. And then you contrast that with with Judge Kavanaugh, who, first of all, the the way the hearing was conducted to me was profoundly disrespectful. I mean, the idea that the Republican senators did not sort of see it as appropriate to even engage with Dr. Ford, that they outsourced that to a, to another woman, a county prosecutor from Arizona, it demonstrated such profound disrespect. Like, she wasn't even worthy of their engagement. Mm. I mean, it was horrifying. By the way, that's what they get paid to do. That's their yeah, job. Yeah. Uh, the idea of, like, well, we can't ask you a question. Under we are, the Constitution. Because right, we're incapable of controlling our questioning to conduct ourselves in a professional way. Like, what... In, what is the possible argument to have done that? I thought the whole thing from the very beginning suggested that they did not take this woman seriously or her story seriously and uh, weren't fulfilling their responsibilities, that it was a foregone conclusion on the Republican member's side. And I think it was a very, very sad day for the country to to, to watch that hearing. You know, we all lived in antis- anticipation of who this woman was and how she would come across and what she would have to say. You know, we had, we knew the outlines of her story, but we hadn't seen her as right. an adult. There were a picture of her as a young woman right in the, in the news. But I had no idea what she looked like. We never, none of us had heard right. her voice. And I thought her opening, just her opening, saying, I'm not here because I want to be here. In fact, I'm terrified. Right. I hear, I'm here because it's my civic duty. duty. yeah. Bingo. From that point on, I think you just had to believe her. Absolutely. And she clearly was rattled, clearly afraid, as anybody would be, right, in her shoes. Um, and she was also very candid about what she remembered and what she didn't remember. Right. And someone who was making something up can remember every little tiny detail because they're making it up. I mean, yeah. the fact that she described how memory works, even almost like an expert witness, like you remember these very traumatic parts of it, but you may not remember every detail before it or after it, but yeah, it also sure. points up why this, this this effort by the Republicans to jam this through, you have a credible and serious allegation, and there's a process where you can help senators to, to determine who right. who's telling the truth, and that's yeah. what investigations are for. Right. Here, here just to remind ourselves, is uh, Dr. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford opening yesterday. I don't have all the answers, and I don't remember as much as I would like to, but the details that about that night that bring me here today are the ones I will never forget. Pretty you know, powerful, there, there very were so powerful. Many... Just, again, just because you're so 
honest, so honest and so real. Yeah. There were so many people on- online who were sharing their stories of either sexual assault or or even being robbed. Right, there was one person that said that they got carjacked, uh, and the the police said, "What was the guy wearing?" And it's just like, I don't remember. It's trauma, and you block a lot of it out, and you don't remember some of the most important parts of it because it's it's trauma. Right. She, you know, what was amazing to me too is I. I get she's a psychologist, right, or teaches psychology, and, right? And so she also, when she talked about anxiety, and she even knew which parts of the brain right. remember which parts of you. Yeah. It was just stunning to me, know. you know. She. Had, I also thought the thing that really struck me in her testimony when they asked her, "What's the one thing you really remember?" Oh, and she said, "The laughter." I know. I remember them that, laughing, I, having a good time. I found that so chilling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what was that character in the the Joker or something? Right. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Here the laughter, the, la- the uproarious laughter between the two, and they're having fun at my expense. And so then we get to Kevin Hall, Congressman, who turned this into, who basically just started shouting at the, at the committee and accusing the Democrats on the committee of having some orchestrated campaign to destroy his good name. How dare you ask me questions? And and went so far as to say this was Clinton's revenge because he once worked for Ken Starr. So the Democrats put this whole campaign together to get even with him for working for Ken Starr. I mean Yeah. I mean you almost turn, turning this... the whole thing into a partisan kind yeah. of rally. I mean you almost get the sense that he was coached by President Trump on how to testify. Bingo. I mean you almost I mean you, you know, I'm just no. you really do wonder. It's this idea of you just okay. go in and you scream and you yell and you demean your adversaries and you Deny, 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 and you'd be tough. You'd be, and you know, rather than being respectful and answering the questions forcefully and honestly, he became really angry and disrespectful. And frankly, what it evidenced to me is, regardless of this allegation, you wonder, like, how is this person sitting on the bench to begin with? I mean, he didn't display a judicial temperament. I mean, if you go through life thinking like one party is one political party is conspiring against you, I mean, how can we expect him to be an impartial judge on any court? No, I think that's an excellent point. Right. He he certainly didn't display the temperament that you would expect from anybody on the Supreme Court. right. Right. Let alone to sit on a court, the highest court in the land that will make decisions about our civil rights, about our voting rights, about corporate power. I mean, this is a this is not just uh I mean this is a promotion, a significant promotion to the highest court in the land for, for your entire life. We have a right to hold that person to a very high standard and this notion that we can't possibly take the time to allow the FBI to conduct an investigation to either corroborate mm-hmm. Dr. Ford's memory or to undermine it and, and vindicate uh, Judge Kavanaugh, you would think that if anyone wanted an FBI investigation, the one who would want it the most would be Judge Kavanaugh, who's Absolutely. claiming, like, this has been horrible for me. Well, okay, if it's not Absolutely. true, the FBI can help determine that. And right. his refusal to embrace that idea raises real questions in my mind. He asserted that he had never met her. Uh, she said, you know, I was with him at several parties with Brett Kavanaugh. I was with him at this party with the named three out of four boys who were there. Um one person could clear that the FBI could clear that up, absolutely, and might. Um, to remember, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse used this word. It might be exculpatory, right? And Christine Ford said, "I don't know what that word means," right, right. and he means it means it wouldn't help you, right. Right? right? And she said, nonetheless, she 
would like because it would help her refresh her memory. Exactly. He refused to answer any questions, repeatedly refused to answer and refused to call for an FBI investigation. Right. Yeah. Um, the committee's going to vote today. Senate may vote Saturday or Sunday. Um, what are you thinking is going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I'm fearful that the if past practice is any indication that they'll just jam this through, that they... they want, they're trying to. Yeah, sure. and that they think that their base is demanding it, and this is sort of, in many ways, the reason they put up with Donald Trump. If they is do, the is there a price to pay in the midterms, oh, do you absolutely. believe? Oh, absolutely. I think if the Republicans force this vote and confirm Judge Kavanaugh uh, after that hearing, there will be a price to pay at the midterms, and... I expect we're going to take the House back. I expect that the Senate will be even in more play if that happens. I think women and people who care about women all across this country are going to become so outraged that they will make sure that they vote, and I think it will. they will really suffer at the ballot box in November. It's interesting to me that so many people, including most Republican strategists, like a couple that I've been on, uh, on the air with the last few days, um, admit that... Suburban Republican women may be the key in the Senate races and the House races this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. So, and if that's the case, pursuing this strategy with Brett Kavanaugh, to me, is it's just big suicidal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I uh, agree. And so, um, you just said, Democrats, you feel good about the chances of Democrats taking back the House. Right. Yes, yeah. I mean, I have been traveling around the country. Based on what? Uh, but do the quality of our candidates. I mean, we have extraordinary <laughs> candidates running uh, and candidates who fit their districts and candidates who are speaking about the issues that matter to the American people that are making the case that we're for you. We're fighting for the people of this country. We're focused on driving down health care costs, making sure everyone has access to quality, affordable care. We're committed to raising family incomes and and really focusing on rebuilding the country with a bold infrastructure plan that will create 16 million good-paying jobs, a trillion-dollar investment to repair our roads, our bridges, our ports, our transit systems, our schools, and that we're serious about taking on the corruption in Washington that has made people feel like the government isn't working for them anymore and that it's working for special interests and big lobbyists. You mean like really drain the swamp? In a real way, right. (laughs) Rather than just talking about it and filling the swamp, actually take it on by raising ethical standards, raising penalties for people via being more transparency, getting money out of our political system. I mean, you know, those are the three most important issues to the American people. Democrats are committed to addressing those. They're talking about them. And I think we're going to win the House and we're going to... uh, be able to move forward on the things that matter to the American people. And we have candidates who woke up after the election of Donald Trump and thought, I need to do something for my country. I'm running great veterans and great women and great business folks. I mean, people who've never been in politics before, but say, this is the moment my country needs me to stand up and fight to preserve this great democracy. And we have great, great candidates. Uh, Great candidates. And you made a big announcement yesterday about your plans. In advance Uh, of your show. Exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, No, tell us about that. Sure. So I- uh, For a position in in the leadership in the House? Yes. I was elected last January along with uh, two of my colleagues, Hakeem Jeffries and Sherry Bustos, to chair the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee. And uh, we've worked on developing the Democratic agenda for House Democrats and a, Sherry Bustos was here yesterday. Yep. Yeah, and a strategy to uh, put us back into the majority in November. 
And I had, uh, announced to my colleagues yesterday that uh, once we take back the House, which I expect we will, uh, I intend to run for assistant Democratic leader. Uh, and I hope to be able to use uh, the skills that I have in terms of bringing folks together, but also making sure that leadership in the next Congress really understands the importance of listening to and engaging all of the great talent in our caucus. I also think as a former mayor, you learn how to kind of bring parties together. We're going to have very yeah, different uh, views. As a mayor, you learn to get things done, you know, too. Get things I mean, done. I remember Willie Brown and Jerry Brown, both That's of whom right. were mayors at one time in their career, right? Absolutely. You're really in touch with the people yeah. and real you have to fix you have things. To fix things and solve problems and bring people together. And I think we're going to have a caucus that's very diverse and people on a very progressive and people more moderate. And we're going to have to figure out how we build consensus to move forward as a caucus. And I think I can contribute to that as well. Uh, so this is a position that's uh, the who, who gets to vote members of the Democratic caucus. Correct. Right. right. Uh, is this what relationship does this have to the job of speaker? Uh, well, it's the you know the speaker, the majority leader, the the whip, and then the assistant Democratic leader. So oh, I see. Okay, so it would be the fourth top position. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Any idea of your opposition? Your opposition yet? Not yet. So far, I'm the only declared candidate. I'm sure, certain there will be others. Uh, okay. Uh, any prognostication? Let's say Democrats do take back the House. Who's going to be the next speaker? Nancy Pelosi. Is that right? You're yeah. Committed? Are you committed to Nancy Pelosi? Oh, absolutely. Pelosi? And I, I think, uh, you know, look, the Republicans have made a campaign of vilifying her in part because she's effective. She's she's kept our caucus together. She's traveling the country, raising uh, lots of resources for candidates, working hard to bring us back into the majority. And I think if she runs, she'll be the speaker. It was, She's a good friend of mine and worked with her a long time. Uh, it just seems to me it would be impossible to deny her the speakership if Democrats take back the House. Just the numbers I saw last week, that the DCCC, thanks to her, has raised about $15.4 million or something, and the Republicans have raised about $5 million in the same process, right? right. I mean, no, no, she's an extraordinary fundraiser. But I think the, the thing is, uh, you know, uh, Leader Pelosi has been very effective, and as a result... The Republicans talk a lot about her, mostly because yeah. they have nothing else to talk about. They have a yeah, tax bill, which is now deeply unpopular. They've really got nothing done for the American people. And so she's a good foil for them. And as I said to some of my Republicans, why don't we stick with the American tradition? We get to pick our leaders. You get to pick yours. I don't comment on whether Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan should. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's for Republicans to decide. We'll, we'll decide who our leader is. And I'm confident that uh, Nancy Pelosi will be elected speaker if if and when we take the house. Well, back. I want you to know, Congressman, no matter who else runs, you're our candidate Thank for, you. <laughs> uh, for a Democratic leader. If we had a vote, we'd all vote for you. But on one condition. Yes. That you don't forget us and you don't forget to come back in and be part of the team here at the uh, Bill Press Show. It would be my pleasure. All right, you can do that. Now, uh, I don't want you to leave empty-handed. A uh, copy of my new book, my latest oh, book. thank you. Gave you a copy of my yeah. last one. That was just a couple of months ago. This is Trump Must Go the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and maybe one to keep him. I'm a little afraid of Mike Pence here, right? But <laughs> yeah, right. Anyhow, take this with <laughs> you, you. Uh, and enjoy. Thanks so uh, much. And the rest of you, check out our website at BillPressShow.com. You can find out where you can get your copy too. we got to let the congressman go because he's got work to do uh, just down the street here. Yes. Thanks. Thank you Thank so you. much. Great to see you. Wait, you got to unplug here. That's it. She's coming. Yeah, we'll All right. Here we go. Uh, was uh, again a hearing unlike we have uh, never, never seen before. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing yesterday. Uh, as, before we get back into some of that sound, uh, just to tell you, there were a couple of other things that happened yesterday. Dave, uh, we, Peter, you mentioned earlier, I think the top of the last hour, 
Uh, Elon Musk got a great big fine from the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission yesterday, the SEC fining Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, of course, and SpaceX, because he put out that crazy tweet saying that he was thinking of taking Tesla private and that he'd already lined up the funding to do so, which basically was a way of doing some insider-outsider trading or whatever, totally unethical for the head of a corporation. It turned out to be not true, that he didn't have the funding. He backed down from it, uh, and he got in a little trouble and had to apologize to members of his board. I remember when he tweeted that, and people were going, what is he thinking? Yeah, You can't be as, as, you know, uh, casual about this stuff when you're leading a company like that. Right. Uh, and so the SEC says that he not only has to pay a fine, uh, charging him with fraud, defrauding his investors uh, with that tweet, but that he also should not be allowed to serve anymore as the head of Tesla. In other words, they're saying his that uh, he has to pay the fine and um, be ousted as the leader uh, of Tesla. And also, we thought that uh, yesterday there might be not just the showdown in the United States Senate, but the showdown with Rod Rosenstein at the White House, uh, the president who, of course, wanted to watch the hearing to see how well Brett Kavanaugh delivered the speech that he had written for him. Uh, (laughs) The president uh, put off the meeting with Rod Rosenstein until sometime um, the next week. He can't meet this weekend because he's got to play golf with uh, Lindsey Graham and you know and celebrate Lindsey Graham, right? Uh, maybe Chuck Grassley too, if Chuck Grassley does play golf. But at any rate, Rod Rosenstein. My point is, uh, all seriousness. Uh, in all seriousness, the mo- meeting has been delayed until next week, and it's looking more and more like uh, Rosenstein will stay on the job until after the midterms, and then uh, look for him and Jeff Sessions both. Again, let's go back to uh, some of the uh, of the hearing yesterday, what a partisan, partisan brawl it turned out to be, what a total disgrace it turned out to be for the Senate Judiciary Committee, for the entire Senate, uh, and for the Supreme Court, for sure. And I think Congressman Cicilline raises an important point. Um, how can you trust this guy to be, and I had several people email me yesterday with the same question, that David... I mean, Brett Kavanaugh really displayed the temperament you want from a Supreme Court justice, no matter whether it's a Sam Alito or an Elena Kagan. I mean, do you want somebody like a Brett Kavanaugh who's just going to be up there screaming and shouting, how dare you ask me a question like that? Oh, God. You know, I, I remember when- You Bar- know who I am? When Barack Obama nom- nominated Sonia Sotomayor, they were all there was this smear uh, against her about her judicial temperament, right? And how there were rumors that she would sometimes lose her temper on cases, and you know would sometimes be a little too aggressive about things, which we never saw, and still haven't way, seen. I, and in I, fact, she's I turned out her... to be probably the real progressive on the Supreme Court. Yeah, and by the way, a real. Balanced, yes. Person, yes. Intelligent and handles herself well. And uh, I mean, I've been around her a lot. I know her well. I know. I mean, but but with all of them, there's no hothead like a Brett Kavanaugh no. in the court, right? No. no. And I think he really showed that, uh, you know, um, his true self kind of came out yesterday. And and all of this protest, like, um, hey, I've had all these jobs. I mean, I was I worked for Ken Starr. I worked for George Bush. I worked, I 
clerked for Anthony Kennedy. I went to Yale, and then I went to Yale Law School, and now I've been in this court, and I've been on that, and in the FBI, uh, I've been here like for six different hearings, the FBI held six, but big deal. And and this is the first time anybody's ever said this about, yeah, well, okay, it is the first time. Now, how do you respond, and did you do it, or did you not do it? Let's talk about that, not just uh, just basically questioning how anybody would dare ask you. Let's listen again. Here, so here's Kavanaugh, the way he starts out, right? Just attacking uh, the committee uh, and the Democrats on the on the committee. Disgrace. The Constitution gives the Senate an important role in the confirmation process, but you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. No, 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 no. Since Asking Mark- legitimate questions about a very credible charge raised by a high school friend of yours is not a search and destroy mission. It is advice and consent. It's laid out in the Constitution. It's the senator's job to explore these allegations seriously, especially, especially in light of the Me Too movement. Uh, Contrast the way he started out accusing the senators, right, of basically character assassination. He called it, a, in fact, grotesque character assassination, orchestrated political hit, warning the Democrats on the committee, what goes around comes around. Yeah, like you try to destroy me, we'll try to destroy anybody you put up. Just turning the whole Supreme Court confirmation process, which, by the way, Republicans on the committee, led by Chuck Grassley, led by Donald Trump and Brett Kavanaugh, all did, turning it all into a political campaign with Brett Kavanaugh going on Fox News with his wife, just like a political candidate, and screaming at the Democrats yesterday, just like a political candidate. You know, we, we all watched a lot of the coverage yesterday and a lot of the analysis from it. I pulled this clip from Cokie Roberts, um, who, who came back to talk about this on ABC, and I think she summed it up really, really well. He came in with an extremely angry tone, but he was also highly emotional. I mean, women were constantly tweeting, suppose a woman were crying like that. Yeah. It would have been a disaster, uh, but he was allowed to get away with it. Exactly. No, talk about a double standard. 100%. And and by contrast, again, you know, we hadn't heard from her. We really didn't know what she was going to look like. A total unknown. Uh, And Christine Ford came across so real. Here's how she started. Again, and I thought she was, from this moment on, she won the hearts of the American people, just admitting, man, I'm scared. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. And I thought the Democrats, by the way, I have to say, handled themselves very well yesterday. And every one of them, rightfully so, I believe, began by thanking her for coming forward and really pointing out that what a great inspiration she is to and st- is to millions and millions of Americans admiring her courage. Uh, and several called her a real patriot, uh, which she is. And again, I think to me, the one thing that knew that I learned about this whole thing, and I thought was extremely significant, uh, is that she said she first 
<laughs> so she's at the beach in Rehoboth. She sees this long list of people that are being considered for the Supreme Court vacancy. Nobody's been nominated yet. There's not even a short list yet. This is this is speculation, the long whole list. Among those names she sees a guy who's been traumatized her entire life because of what, as she remembers, he did to her at this party. And she thinks people should know about that. Who does she turn to? Who could, you know, she's thinking, who could possibly get this word to the White House? Well, my member of Congress. Her member of Congress happens to be a Democrat, happens to be Anna Eshoo. And she went to her office, talked to her staff, that early in the process, for the purpose of asking them to get her information, her charges, her complaint, her allegations, to the White House before they made any decision. That was her motivation. It was clearly not, and it's just despicable for anybody to suggest that she only came in at the very last minute in order to destroy a guy who had already been nominated and who looked like was already going to be confirmed. That is an outright freaking lie with zero basis in fact. And that's how, that's how early she started, which just repudiates the whole political nature that the Republicans have tried to turn this into. You know, and... and, and by the way, if, if they say, just think about what impact, like Lindsey Graham was going to say about this, what impact this is going to have or anybody might be considered for the Supreme Court. By the way, it will not be difficult to find lawyers who want to be on the Supreme Court or judges, no. Who also the, are not rapists right, or attempted thank you. rapists. Yes. But also, think about the impact that the way they treated her is going to have on other victims of sexual assault. If you want to know why women don't come forward, look at the way she was treated yesterday. It, it, on that point, Patrick Leahy yesterday made this comment. Chairman, you and I were both here 27 years ago. At that time, the Senate failed Anita Hill. I said I believed her, but I'm concerned that we're doing a lot less for these three women today. Good point. And again, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh showed that he doesn't want, and the senator showed that they do not want the truth when they have refused over and over again to take time out to let the FBI determine the facts. They, of course, they don't reach conclusions. They kept saying that. We all know that. That's beside the point. The FBI's job to determine the facts. They will not allow that. And they will not call Mark Judge, the other person, the only other person who was in, reportedly in that bedroom with Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Ford. And they will not call Mark Judge to testify. Brett Kavanaugh will not ask his friend to testify. Why? Because he's afraid of what he might say. Well, uh... I want to hear from you again, your comments on what happened yesterday. Send your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll check in with that. And we'll also be joined by Zoe Tillman. Coming up next, she covers the courts and the Justice Department for BuzzFeed here on the Bill Press Show, Friday, September 28th. Follow us on Twitter, at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go, wrapping up here on this uh, big Friday, September 28th, the morning after the Senate Judiciary Committee and the cable news networks are all... Three uh, up with the Chiron soon again soon 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 judiciary Senate Judiciary Committee votes on the nomination of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, which means that uh, Jeff Flake 
the one undecided member of Senate, reportedly, who is on the Senate Judiciary Committee, is going to have to put up or shut up. My guess is he will fold and vote for Kavanaugh, despite his pious speeches he's been giving the last couple of days. Uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. Good to have you with us, and great to welcome uh, to the studio Zoe Tildman, who covers the courts and justice uh, department issues for BuzzFeed. Zoe, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. What were you doing yesterday? Nothing. I was kicking back <laughs> by the pool. Getting ready for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing going on, right? Uh, you, like millions of us, all glued to the tube, of course, morning and afternoon. Uh, we've been talking about it all morning, and Peter, several people weighing in. Indeed, yeah, lots of comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, <laughs> Terrace Muhammad says, Prosecutor Rachel Mitchell for the Republicans, given her experience prosecuting sex abuse cases, apparently saw Dr. Ford as an example of a textbook victim. Which is interesting. You and I had the same thought. It I, looked like she came around to believing Dr. Ford's story while she was... Uh, uh, questioning her. Uh, also, Andy Anderson says, I am saddened and angry that the old white men senators have not changed in the 27 years since mm. Anita Hill. I am ashamed of being an American. Mm. Uh, Babs says, uh, you guys don't get it. They calculated they could destroy anyone who makes a frivolous accusation against powerful white men. That's what this is all about. Ironically, thanks to Rachel Mitchell, uh, help Dr. Ford build a powerful case. It backfired on no small scale. Uh, if you uh, ha let me just read one more really quickly yeah, from yeah. Al says, Bill, you're spot on. Uh, it is because of his attitude towards Trump that Trump wants him on the Supreme Court. That's what this is really all about, because, you know, there are plenty of other judges that could be nominated. If you have a comment, find us on Twitter at BP show. Yeah, thanks so much for those comments. Uh, I was on NPR yesterday uh, for about an hour of the uh, hearing uh, co during commentary. And after Kavanaugh's opening statement, you know, I, I made the point that Trump, Donald Trump could have written that opening statement. Uh, and um, Kavanaugh did everything that Donald said, everything Donald Trump would have said, except he didn't call it a witch hunt. Uh, that was the word I was waiting for. He called it a calculated political hit, a grotesque character assassination, um, an orchestrated campaign, bop, 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 bop. So overall, overall, Zoe, what did we see yesterday? Yesterday, what was your reaction to the hearing? Well, I should say, you know, I I've covered the D.C. Circuit for a number of years, and I've covered Judge Kavanaugh for a number of years. And is this a Judge Kavanaugh that you've seen on the court? No. This is a very different Judge Kavanaugh that we saw yesterday. Um, it's not his reputation <laughs> for being a particularly fiery judge on the bench. You know, some judges do bring a lot of yeah. personality, a lot of passion. They get wound up. That is not the Judge Kavanaugh that I've covered on the D.C. Circuit. Um, it's not the Judge Kavanaugh I've covered in speeches, events. It's really just not the personality that we in the legal community really know him for. So I think it was a pretty striking departure um, from that. And even the you know the cool, calm personality we saw at his confirmation hearing when he was under tremendous scrutiny and intense questioning from senators, I think that this has clearly crossed a line for a number of people in a number of ways, including Judge Kavanaugh. Um, so I think the tone was really remarkable. Uh, so yeah. why? Do, I mean, it, it's been rumored that he was told by the White House, you're too nice a guy, you know. Uh, and Donald Trump reportedly complained about, you know, why isn't he 
attack? Why didn't he do what I do, right? Why doesn't he attack back? Why doesn't he call them liars? Why doesn't he accuse them of being Democratic goons and write the whole thing? And I mean, so do you think he was basically, and the draft statement that he put out and released is not right. what we what he said at the, at the hearing. So That's right. Do, do you think he was sort of like either coached or forced to do this? Well, I mean, the irony is that it is his, you know, calm, collected, personable demeanor that I think in part landed him on a lot of Supreme Court shortlists over the years. He was always at the top of, you know, if there was a Republican in the White House, of course, Brett Kavanaugh. Everyone likes Brett Kavanaugh. He's respected by his colleagues. I think it's that that personality, you know, the the genial side of him that got him in part to where he he got. Um, in this case. But, you know, he said that no one helped him with that opening statement. No one saw it except for one of his former law clerks. And he seemed to be telegraphing that this was all him, that he was not coached by anyone. And I think it was striking that he kept saying, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to back down. And I think that was really uh, a throwing the ball into the court of the White House and the Senate to say, you know, this is what I want. And if you want to get rid of me, that's on you. But I'm not stepping down. Well, but as always, I think we have to take what uh, the judge says with a grain of salt. We do know that he was coached by the White House. He was in at least right. two, two full days of uh, and they told they t- more than the, that. More than that. Yeah, the White House released week. the names of the people who were prepping him. That's right. Right. And we also know that he readily agreed to the White House's suggestion. Bill Shine. Hello. That he appear on Fox News, you know, like a candidate who's in trouble, put his wife alongside of him and and uh, deny, deny, deny. Right. So he did that. So, I mean, he has been yes. directed by the whatever, whatever you said about how independently he prepared this. The White House has been telling him what, what he's got to say. And it's hard to imagine that he would do something with the knowledge that it would distance himself from the White House. Huh. You know, it's, it's it's impossible. Right. I, I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's hard to believe that he would go against, you know, any kind of express wish from White House counsel Don McGahn or the other folks who have been helping him prep at the White House from Bill Shine. Um, so. Yeah. So why won't the Senate Judiciary Committee. What's the rush? Uh, first question. Why won't they give the FBI call on the FBI, give the FBI a couple of days, whatever it takes. Wouldn't take long just to do their job, determine the facts, come back with not the recommendation of what they should do, but just here are the facts in this case. Here's who was there. Here's who does know whom. You know, here's when Mark Judge worked at this Safeway or whatever in Potomac. And why won't they call Mark Judge to testify? To start with your first question, I think the the, the rush. rush, quote unquote, is that the Supreme Court term starts in a couple of weeks. The justices have already been meeting. They just had, I believe, one of their conferences. It starts next week, doesn't it? October week. 1? The first, yeah, the first Monday <laughs> in October. Um, so yeah. we're coming up on that. I think Republicans, the goal had been to have Kavanaugh in place. On the bench for, for that. Yeah. Um, they're not going to, you know, we're not probably not going to get there well, well, at this they, pace. They we vote, might. They if, vote today and then the full Senate votes tomorrow and God forbid he's confirmed. Donald Trump will have somebody swear him in on Sunday and yeah. It's possible. And he even said that he had preemptively uh, hired clerks in anticipation of, you know, moving up. Um, and, you know, so I think that's the rush. The other rush being the midterm elections coming up that Republicans, you know, in the White House don't want this whole situation looming 
that, you know, clearly all eyes were glued on this yesterday. This was all anyone could talk about, not Mm -hmm. just reporters and folks in Washington, but everyone I spoke to yesterday was watching this at work, you know, Mm -hmm. wherever they were doing. Um, So I think the rush is the Supreme Court term. The rush is the midterms. I think there's a concern that if they lose either house, um, that they could end up in a situation of sort of what Republicans did to Democrats is holding the seat open as long as possible. Um, and potentially delaying for a long time the president's ability to fill this seat. Um, as to why they don't want an FBI investigation, I think you know Lindsey Graham is probably the best expression of that yesterday, where he came out with fire at the hearing, saying that you know he's heard nothing to convince him one way or the other that there's anything else out there that they need to hear to be convinced that there is evidence that Kavanaugh actually did well, what Ford says he did. Can, can I just say, let's dismiss anything Lindsey Graham said. I mean, seriously, Lindsey Graham, he's up in 2020. He clearly is afraid he's going to get a Republican challenger from the right, you know, to his reelection. He's, uh, John McCain died. He needs a new best friend. So he's decided Donald Trump is his new best friend. I mean, for Lindsey Graham to say there are no unanswered questions about this, it's just dead wrong. I, 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 I dead, just read. dead wrong. I mean, just obviously, when did this occur? Did Mark Judge, and was he at that party? Yes or no? I mean, you know, there's so many little details. And again, not that you're asking the FBI to do the job of the committee and reach a conclusion. Nobody suggests that at all, but just to confirm whatever details they could. Lindsay, I had time to pull this this morning, but Lindsey Graham went on Sean Hannity last night. Oh, of couple of quick and details. He's on Fox and Friends, of course, right now. of yeah. course. Yeah. Uh, Lindsey Graham has changed his Twitter avatar to a picture of him and Brett Kavanaugh standing together, right? And he also said on on Hannity last night, "quote Ms. Ford." By the way, it's Doctor Ford. "Quote Ms. Ford has a problem, and destroying Judge Kavanaugh's life won't fix her problem." End quote. That's what he said last night, which is vile, to say the least. I, I That's think, like all these women who came, 60 of them, and came forward against Bill Cosby. How dare they? They destroyed his career. Listen, I think even if you set aside Lindsey Graham, the party line has been that this is a he said, she said. And what is the FBI going to do to resolve that beyond drag this out longer you know, this has been obviously unpleasant for everyone involved. You know, we saw Ford getting emotional, talking about this whole experience and what it's meant for her family. We saw Judge Kavanaugh get emotional and his wife get emotional with him talking about what it's meant for his family. Um, so I think for Republicans, they see this as an unresolvable question and they don't see the need for an FBI investigation when because the FBI is. I have to add, I hear what you're saying. That's their story. But yeah. because they don't want to know the facts and. I, I thought one of the reasons that Dr. Ford was so credible is that she would admit that she didn't remember all the facts and that the FBI could help her remember. And remember, as Senator Whitehouse pointed out to you, you know, there's an FBI investigation. It could be, to use the word, exculpatory, where she admitted she didn't know what that word meant, which I thought was a very honest moment. Yeah. And he said that means that they could find stuff that's not going to help your case. That's right. And we know from the Anita Hill hearings that this wouldn't take very long. I think it yeah. was a couple For, days yeah, that they, 48 they hours. opened mm-hmm. and they went back and they talked to <clears throat> witnesses. And we know from talking with other sources who have been through this process that they go back. The White House goes back to the FBI routinely when it comes to judicial nominees to say, can you go back and interview this one person? Can you reopen this issue? We're getting contradictory information. So it's not unheard of at all. 
for the executive branch to, you know, go back to the FBI. And why the one person who is named, who has written two books about his teenage drinking habits uh, with his buddy Bart O'Kavanaugh, uh, why won't they talk to Mark Judge? Same reason, I would add. They don't want to know the facts, but what is your take? Well, I mean, Mark Judge has said he doesn't want to participate any further. Well, he doesn't either, want to talk about fine, this. Then subpoena him, right? Right. They could. Um, they certainly could. And yeah. It just seems so glaring that the one, that the, allegedly, again, two, two boys and one girl in this bedroom, and we know who the third one is, and... Even though he said he doesn't remember it, we know who we know who he is. At least not to get his story. Just leaving. In, 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 well, you cover these cases like if this were a courtroom. Now this wasn't. This is not a courtroom, so I don't want to pretend that it is. But can you imagine? I mean, if there were any case of sexual assault and there was a an eyewitness, like that, they they would not call on that person in that. They couldn't get away without calling on that person, correct? Yeah, and I think what's interesting is I sort of got the sense that that was part of what contributed to the awkwardness with Rachel Mitchell, the Arizona prosecutor who was brought in to do the questioning. I think because, you know, you're used to in a courtroom setting being able to present all the evidence, ask the questions you want to ask, talk to witnesses, she really, it seemed like she felt very constrained by the format and sort of uncertain about how to do her job, what she normally thinks of as her job, in those circumstances where she had these very tight five-minute increments and then she would get cut off. It was just a really bizarre format to watch. And I right. imagine for a prosecutor who's used to a courtroom to go through and not be able to kind of do the full vetting of all the evidence and all the witnesses that you would normally expect to see in a case like this. Yeah, I don't want to be too critical of her. I don't think she helped the Republicans at all. Uh, I understand why they had her come in. <coughs> to save, pardon me, save Arn Hatch from embarrassing them all. But it was impossible for her, the way they set it up. I you mean, could tell she was frustrated. Yeah, you and... cannot, a good prosecutor or a good therapist cannot do five minutes, and then I have to come back, five minutes more, and then start a little line, then five minutes, no, I mean, it was, it was impossible for her to do her right. job the way it was, the way it was set up, right? Yeah. Um, and um, so now, if they vote today, vote tomorrow, he's on the court, what happens? He's on the court. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are actually interesting other implications <laughs> for him getting on the court, one of which being, as a lower court judge, he's subject to a whole range of ethics rules and misconduct proceedings, which, you know, his opponents have expressed an interest in pursuing against him should he not make it on the Supreme Court. But if he is on the Supreme Court, he's no longer covered by a lot of the ethics rules and misconduct proceedings that lower court judges are. So it would actually rule out any kind of further inquiry within the judiciary into his conduct, whether we're talking about his confirmation hearing, there were accusations that he lied under oath, whether we're talking about this whole situation. Um, this one sort of interesting side effect of him getting on the court is it would rule out any kind of additional scrutiny within the judiciary. Yet, if... Could be impeached, but... I was just going to say, if different. other women came forward, if other real solid evidence comes out um, related to either Dr. Christine Ford or to Deborah Ramirez or to um, Julia Swetnick, Julie mm -hmm. Swetnick, I guess. By the way, who are also being, like Mark Judge, ignored by the committee, not heard from, not being called upon to testify. Um, 
if any of that information came out, he could he's not untouchable as a justice of the Supreme Court, correct? That's right. And I think that is a concern by Republicans because there does appear to be a real chance that they could lose the House and the House initiates impeachment proceedings. Now you need the Senate to convict. And if they if Republicans keep the Senate, obviously, you know, that would be a tall order. But to have impeachment proceedings alone against against a a sitting justice would be a huge, huge deal. Um, So I think that is looming out there in terms of consequences out of the midterms. What does this whole process do to, does it have any impact at all on the reputation of the Supreme Court? I think it's destroyed the reputation of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I will just add that. Um, But it doesn't reflect well on the court, does it? I think what we've seen from the, the tenure of Chief Justice John Roberts is an attempt to keep the court from becoming, you know, from being seen by the public as a completely partisan body. And the extent to which I think Judge Kavanaugh really got into the nitty gritty of partisan politics yesterday um, is certainly not going to help that cause. And I think when we see if he gets on the court and there are very high profile, very politically charged cases, we may see attempts to have him recuse from cases depending on who the parties are and what the issues are, you know, that probably won't succeed, but that that will come up, I think, in the future. Yeah. I mean, I had several people email me yesterday with that very question. How can this guy be trusted to rule on any case where it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the political parties are on opposite sides of a case, whatever the issue might be. It might be Roe v. Wade or kind of whatever. When, um, or campaign finance, or you can think of a lot of cases, right, where there's a political aspect, at least, to the issue. Uh, after the, the antagonism, if not the hatred that he expressed toward any Democrat yesterday, how could he ex- be expected to rule, you know, fairly? You know, it's interesting. Partisan, a partisan background is not a disqualifying factor for a judge to hear a politically charged case. We've had yeah. instances where it's come up and courts have said that just because someone had something in their background or they you know, did something in the past that's not necessarily disqualifying. I think where we might actually see it come up is if there are cases which are working their way through the courts right now where Senate Democrats are parties to the case or involved in the case. Yeah. You know, Senate yeah. Democrats have been suing the administration. Right. There are named cases where Senator Richard Blumenthal is the lead plaintiff mm-hmm. in litigation against the Trump administration. And I think to the extent, for instance, one of those cases were to come up, uh, you know, I've talked to ethics experts who say there may be an argument that because of his comments directed towards the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, that right. that could be absolutely an issue that comes up. But whether sort of the broader political question poses a problem for him, you know, at least in terms of the case law, it it may not actually end up actually disqualifying him, but it would certainly give his critics a lot of fodder to come out and say whatever he does is not legitimate. Okay. On another front, um, Rod Rosenstein still has his job today. (laughs) He does. For how long? Who knows? I should say, I mean, I started my day yesterday at the Justice Department. We were on Rosenstein Watch. This was, uh-huh. this was the story at the start of the week, right? We all started completely <laughs> oh, yeah. focused yeah. on whether Rod Rosenstein was going to keep his job. Is the Mueller investigation in jeopardy? Did he um, resign? I don't know. I think what the news reports Did he go to the White House showed, to resign? We know that he was there for previously scheduled national security meetings. We know, uh-huh. you know that was okay. what we were told and confirmed, you know, 
why he was at the White House this week. He was there yeah. yesterday for a previously scheduled national security meeting, and the, Trump was not even there. He was certainly not there to meet with Trump. Um, but whether he offered to resign, whether he discussed resigning, I think the language was so vague that came out in the very conflicting reports we saw on Monday. It's really hard yeah. to tell. Um, I certainly don't have reporting to confirm one way or the other what he did or what he talked about. But I think as the week went on, it, it just sort of evaporated as a story, as an issue. And the focus completely shifted to Judge Kavanaugh. And so this much anticipated showdown between Trump and the deputy attorney general that was going to happen yesterday, it just fizzled. And we were, you know, reporters were there at the Justice Department. It was quiet. And then we, <laughs> we were all watching the hearing at the Justice yeah. Department. Right. Um, and then we got word from the White House that they had pushed it back a week. When? Mm -hmm. We don't have a date. We don't have any details about when this is going to happen next week. So uh, After the midterms, will they still have a job? That's a different question. You know, I think Trump has expressed a, seeing that as a, a benchmark for a lot of people, not just Deputy Attorney General maybe, Rod Rosenstein, maybe, maybe the, his boss, the, attorney, the general, attorney General, himself, maybe others. Right. But for now, right. Rod Rosenstein has a job today. Well, we can take comfort on the fact that you are on the job. And so as soon as you know, we will know. Uh, Zoe Tillman from BuzzFeed, buzzfeed.com. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, a little quieter day today. Make the most of it. And then enjoy the weekend, folks, and come back and see us on this Monday. This is The Bill Press Show.